1: com and definitely check out those shows as well. Richard Roper is the author of When We Were Young. He is a nonfiction editor at Headline, an imprint of Hachette UK. He lives in London and is the author of Something to Live For. Welcome, Richard. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss When We Were Young, a novel. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Okay. Can you please tell listeners what your book is about and what inspired you to write it? And I'm sorry, these are those questions you've probably answered a million times, but I do think it's useful for listeners to to hear and get a framework and then we can dive in.
2: No, no, it has to be done. Yes. The idea for the the book came from uh, a few years ago when I decided to go on holiday by myself in England and I wanted to do something vaguely adventurous that involved walking, but I also have, I love walking, but I've got a terrible sense of direction. So the one idea that appealed to me was the idea of following something called the Thames Path, which is uh, a walk that you can do from the source of the Thames River in England in Gloucestershire, which goes all the way from Gloucestershire right to the heart of London. And I thought, well, If I can, even I shouldn't be able to get lost by walking by (laughs) a river, uh, even though I (laughs) did
0: it
2: a couple of times. And I did it by myself for the most part, but then I had a couple of friends come and join me halfway along, uh, two male friends of mine. And as with many conversations with my male friends, 90% of it was complete nonsense. But there was also something about, I think, walking and being quite contemplative and out of our natural habitat, which meant we sort of opened up a little bit uh, to each other. So, and within that came lots of conversations about the fact that we turned this grand old age of 30, shockingly, which seemed had always seemed like it was a million years away, but there we there we were. And we began sort of we talked about the fact it's the first time really you kind of reflect on a certain time of your life. So we were talking about our, our youth and how long ago it seemed that we were kind of kids uh, mucking around. And so the germ of an idea uh, started there really. And uh, what came from it is the book where the two main characters, Theo and Joel, who have just turned 30, but are living wildly different lives. And they had, when they were kids, they, when they were about 15, they'd made this Promised to each other that when they turned 30, they would, whatever they were doing in their lives, they would meet up and walk the Thames Path together from the start in Kemble, where they live, all the way to London. But something along the way has made them fall out fairly drastically. So when Joel turns up on Theo's doorstep, to uh, get him to join up for this walk. Theo really isn't having it because of something that happened in their past. And the book is about exploring their friendship and this journey that they uh, do eventually go on. And yeah, it's about whether they can kind of right past wrongs. And uh, it's really a kind of big journey into nostalgia, I think, at its
1: heart. Well, I'm relieved that it was not inspired by your parents kicking you out of the shed on their property. (laughs)
2: No. Although, I mean, yeah, I'm sure I I did live at home for a fair few years. (laughs) I'm sure that was always at the back of my mind.
1: (laughs) Uh, So were you you kicked out at some point? You can be honest.
2: No, I wasn't. I think there was probably an element of my dad's, um, it would occasionally drop into the conversation, things like, well, we should uh, ask you to start paying rent soon. Ha ha ha. And then I thought, (laughs) Oh, that can only be so funny for so long. Before then, eventually, <laughs> I am going to get a letter under the bedroom door, very formally, "Dear Richard." I was, um, <laughs> so I decided. So luckily, I got I got a job in London. So this sort of decision was made for me that I. Had to
1: <laughs> and your job. So did you start as an editor? How did? So what happened after that?
2: Yeah, so I started uh, as an editorial assistant at a, a publishing house in London, and kind of learn how to be an editor I was I was working and still do work in non-fiction so I these days I work on a lot of uh, memoirs and uh, narrative non-fiction but I'd sort of and, I'd, and I have to say I'd never I always feel quite guilty when I listen to interviews with with authors fiction authors where they talk about always having this dream since they were five to write this you know the great epic novel and I I never really did, partly because I just didn't think it was possible. I didn't think I was the sort of person that could ever do that. But working in publishing, I got to sit alongside fiction editors and hear them pitching books. And obviously, I read more than I'd you know ever thought possible. I was just constantly seeking out new books, and so I just started sort of almost behind my own back do you know doodling in a way with new with ideas and writing short stories, and then kind of the writing just grew from that until eventually I thought oh i'm I'm twenty thousand words into a novel here, and then it sort of took off from there, really,
1: Wow, I mean you could definitely learn a lot from reading a lot of books. <laughs> Oh yeah, (laughs) I was just telling someone, I just, I actually have a memoir coming out soon. And I was like, well, I tried to just use like every trick of the trade that I could think of to make the pages turn as fast as possible. There's not just one thing, but it's like, once you've read enough books, it's like, that's working. That's not working. That always helps. That doesn't help. So you can't help, but soak it up.
2: Yeah. I mean, that is my, if I ever get asked about advice for for people trying to write books, it's you know, read is at the is number one at the top of the list because and I still do it now if I'm having a bit of a slump in the middle of a middle of a book and I just can't, I just feel a bit lost with it. I take a week off the actual writing and just either go back to my favorite books or or see what's, you know, exciting new ones come out. And I the time I would have been writing, I just sit down and read and just get into those kind of rhythms. And I think it just it, it helps you kind of, as you say, it's all those tricks of the trade, which you can then put into practice when you're writing your own stuff.
1: So what are some of the go-to books that you turn to when you're feeling stuck?
2: So my, I, my favorite author is, is David Nichols, who wrote One Day and Us, which is a book I go back to a huge amount because it's sort of, I think that it's quite rare in, in your life where you find those books where you just assume that somehow it's been written for you, that you have mm-hmm. sort of off into the universe as a sort of recipe and then come back as this uh, kind of fully formed cake god that's a terrible metaphor but (laughs) it is really like someone has just written this you know exactly for you and it's sort of he's a very good writer about sort of I mean who knows why it appeals to me but it's about you know kind of beta males Mm -hmm. who listen to a lot of introspective indie music (laughs) about their you know and there's always a love story at the heart of it and it's whenever I'm writing I'm trying to you know to sort of emulate him and and he's really my hero so that his books us one day the understudy his new one sweet sorrow is one is is fantastic as well so I'm always coming back to his books
1: Interesting. So when you were writing this book, you decided on alternating viewpoint structures. You could go back and forth very quickly. Short chapters, good trick of the trade. (laughs) Alternating viewpoints. And you have two very different men. So funny, though. I mean, it's like there is something about the British sense of humor that no American can capture in a novel. I don't know what it is, but I don't know if you can get it just from living there or you have to be born there. But it is this particular dry wit that I find just so awesome. I love it. (laughs) So anyway, you totally nailed that, like from the first page on, right? Like you are engrossed in these characters and sort of chuckling along with them as they go. So what made you choose that format for for telling the story?
2: Oh, well, thank you, first of all, about it. I'm so, I'm really pleased if anyone ever says it's funny because it's that's you know, I am a frustrated sitcom writer at heart. So I just, it's lots of, there are so many jokes in, in there that it's just you know I will have it will have come into my head on a walk and I put it down on my phone and then I'm always searching to try and kind of crowbar it in so, um, <laughs> rather than it made you laugh. Well, the alternating viewpoint actually in the first draft of the book it was purely from Theo's point of view,
0: hmm.
2: and there just wasn't something working about it. There's a lot of there are some fairly sort of big revelations. In the book and what I worked out from reading the first draft back and that slightly kind of deflated oh no it's not working at all moment is that what there needed to be lots of sort of dramatic irony of the of the reader not knowing what certain things until it bits are kind of revealed but it also made it far more interesting I hope and it was easier to sort of raise the stakes when it was from both characters point of view so both of them are in a very typically male way are concealing things from each other partly because they just don't know how to talk about things that have any kind of sense of emotion about them. So it was actually a way of, of kind of helping from a dramatic point of view, really to have it from both perspectives, but also, as you say, short chapters, I'm, I'm a big fan of short, of short chapters. My attention span is absolutely zero, but I, I'm also, I just, I love those books where you see a scene from one person's view, and then immediately it snaps into the into another perspective where you know you work out exactly what you know what's going on from their from their perspective. So I'm lucky that I worked out that was the kind of the thing that needed to fix it. And it's quite it's tri- I'm trying to write something new now, and it's quite and it's just from one person's perspective, and it's quite tricky because I'm always <laughs> wanting to go oh, well, there's another character. I wonder what they think, but it just can't work like that. So I'm pretty sure this the new one will just be from from one perspective, but it was handy for when we were young to have it from both Theo and Joel.
1: The the interesting part, because I feel like most dual perspectives aren't always writing on the same scene. Like you, you go back and forth right there, like in in the moment, which I think was really neat and different.
2: Well, oh, thanks. Yeah, I think it it's sort of, I mean, partly the fact that they are doing this journey together, so they're it's this long walk, and they're both in completely different headspaces and almost trying to work out what the other what the other person's thinking and i'm always slightly obsessed with if you when you're with friends and you look back at a certain moment you know a party or whatever it is and you you can have completely different memories of it and you're obviously go coming at it from a different perspective and i think i mean it obviously drove me slightly insane when I was writing because I was trying to keep there sort of you know a certain amount of continuity there and Keep the story moving while also having them reflect on, on what had just happened. And, but it was quite fun where you know that both of them aren't really telling the truth. And you, you know as soon as you, as the reader, know something that one of the characters doesn't, then that, it's, quite, it's, it's a helpful device to then to be able to, someone can give someone a look. And it means mm-hmm. a whole lot more because we know exactly what the other character is expecting
1: from them. Interesting. Ready to pop the question?
0: They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig.
1: who's in a wheelchair and what it's like for Alice and her life. And, you know, even the idea that she was getting so buff from being in the chair that she could like squash <laughs> her brother. Tell me about, about writing her. I'm like seeing this as a movie and like casting the person in, in a wheelchair and, in, and using yeah. that really unique point of view.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it, the sort of, I mean, the character, this is Theo's sister, Alice, who plays a very, the integral part in the book in that she is the person that really kind of spurs Theo on. She's very much kind of, she's been through a horrendous mm-hmm. accident, which has left her in a wheelchair. And she is trying to, she is someone who's been through a lot, but has, has to a certain extent come to terms with it and is someone who kind of at the heart of it has, I mean, it's obviously a massive cliche to say that when you've been through something really bad, you then begin to kind of, appreciate life more because I know that's a very easy way of saying it and I'm lucky that I've not been in that situation but she I always wanted her to be someone who was incredibly strong and had had a horrible moment in her life but was someone who was really taking you know kind of life by the scruff of the neck and and is keen to do that with Theo who has lived to a certain extent a fairly charmed life but is kind of held back by his his own kind of obsession with the past and not being able to move forward from that. And so I want, I just wanted her to be this, this character who had suffered something, but it wasn't holding her back. And at the heart of it, she's the one driving kind of everyone forward. And it's tricky to talk about anymore without giving away spoilers, I suppose, But, but I did want her to have this, yeah, this real kind of verve and zest for life. And to a certain extent be a counterpart to Theo who is, You know, can get quite stuck and set in his ways, and she was always going to be there to, um, yeah, to try and get him out of his
1: slump. Tell me more about this new book you're writing. From one perspective, what else can you say about it?
2: Well, it's I will give you the sort of the inspiration for it. It's very early days, but the inspiration for it came where on one of the first trips away I did out of whatever lockdown we were in at, at the time. So it was sort of felt very new to be getting on a train and going anywhere. And I was in York and I was listening to in kind of classic writer modes, just eavesdropping around everyone who I was in a, I was in a restaurant at the time and I was just listening to conversations going on at other tables. And there was this huge drama that happened where a couple were complaining to the waiters about something, some trivial thing that had happened with their food. And I was just watching this conversation go back where I could see the waiters going back to their little back room and talking with each other and then coming out and talking to this couple who then fired some new complaint at them in a very polite British way and I got kind of obsessed by the idea of because I just knew that what was going to happen was this was going to end up on TripAdvisor or one of those websites where someone leaves reviews and I just got obsessed with it and sure enough the next day this incredibly long review appeared mentioning all sorts of things like the weights and measures act of the UK in oh my gosh. and all of this. So I just thought there's got, there is an idea here in someone who runs an establishment of some sort, who finds themselves getting these reviews and I'll kind of leave it there, but that was the germ of the idea. And he ends up seeing a review from someone who he's not seen in for a very long time. And then much like uh, when we were young, a kind of a quest ensues where he is trying to kind of go on an adventure of his own to uh, track this person down and uh, work out why they left him this review.
1: Interesting. I've literally never left a restaurant review. Have you?
2: No. I mean, I think the, the thing I find it fascinating is that the vast majority are, are either five stars saying this is the greatest meal I've ever eaten or one star saying you've ruined my life and I will never eat food again. And I just, I mean, it's my favorite thing to do now because I can call it research for the book. But if you go on, if you look at a TripAdvisor review, say for the Eiffel Tower or something, mm-hmm. and you'll just get, you know, all one star reviews just going, it's just rubbish. It's not as tall as I thought, or it's, you know, it was raining that day. So one star. And I just want <laughs> to know everything about that person. I want to shadow the day, see what their lives are like, because <laughs> it's just extraordinary.
1: Oh my gosh. The only reviews I really pay attention to are on places like Goodreads or something. And somebody yeah. left a two star review recently on something. And I was like, I kind of want to write this person, be like, I don't, did you hit the wrong? thing because everything you said was really nice but then you put two like maybe you got it backwards like could I reach out like
2: (laughs) yeah oh I definitely and for my first book I think I had a well I had a one-star review and obviously I sort of my heart sank and then I looked at it and it was clearly someone who as you say had just got it because it was a brilliant review I was very Mm -hmm. lucky they'd written a very nice thing but they for some reason in this day and age hadn't worked out the very complicated star system. <laughs> so I then thought am I like, going to try and get in contact with them and then, then it turns into I become a stalker at that point outside the house going can I just talk to you about this Review left? I know I live 100 miles away but I just had to come and see you and explain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can find yourself mad with the reviews I think.
1: Actually it'd be kind of funny if if, if like all authors took like a moment to post a video, maybe like one like review day or something like hashtag five stars. And like all, everybody who's written a book goes on and says, okay, just to explain this a little better, when you go on, it is very important to us that you click five star. Here's how you do it. And we do like a share screen yes. and then like everybody shares the video. <laughs> maybe yeah. it would help with reviews.
2: Yes. If we all club together and then we can yes. do it, we can sort of do it on a billboard, maybe Times Square or something just so yes. Wouldn't that be me? so funny? Great.
1: <laughs> Help authors, and then just yeah. like five stars in a row, <laughs> <Yeah>. save publishing. <laughs> Which authors' memoirs have you worked on, and nonfiction stuff? Like, who are some of your authors? I
2: work on it's. I've got a very it's a very British focused list, I suppose. So I work with lots of comedians. There's a comedian called James Acaster who I feel is possibly starting to get a bit of a profile in in the US. He's been on the Seth Meyers show at least once. I think he's coming on again soon. And lots of uh, musicians. I'm publishing a book by uh, Dave Davis, who's the guitarist in The Kinks. And then I tend to do lots of, yeah, some slightly quirky narrative nonfiction. I've just published a book called A Tomb with a View, which is by Peter Ross, uh, a man who has a fascination, uh, as strange as it sounds, with graveyards and just different kind of burial sites. So he's written a, a genuinely fascinating, very moving book about all the different kind of weird and wonderful places in the UK where people have been buried and humanist funerals and all sorts of things. That's a great title. Yeah, it's. I mean, I was sold then. Great title, yeah. So it's an eclectic list of stuff that I do.
1: Interesting. Love it. And when you're not editing and writing, like, what do you like to do? Do you run? Like, do you, are you on...
2: Oh, great question! I mean, I am obsessed with comedy, so I go to loads of. I mean, that's kind of I've managed to fork out this career of being a an editor of of comedians' books, and it's largely just because I'm such an obsessive that I sometimes kind of it's like, is this work? Because this is you know what I'd be. (laughs) You could pay me to do this because it's a huge amount of fun. So so yeah, I mean, good running. I've never really got to the point with exercise where. You know, people sort of say, oh, I gets as addictive as drugs, the rush of endorphins. But I just, I never really got past <laughs> the bit where I want to cry and have a lie down. So every single, I mean, I'm such a classic New Year's resolution. You know, today I'm going to get up at five and, you know, have that kind of rocky montage, drink six raw eggs and then run 20 miles. But I just have a cup of tea and I sit down and it's, uh, it's much, much better. <laughs>
1: You should, um, I just did an event with Gretchen Rubin who wrote a book called The Four Tendencies. And mm-hmm. you should go online because I just gave, I have four kids and I gave my all my kids this quiz this morning because I was convinced that each kid of mine has a different one of the four tendencies, which is why it's like impossible to parent. And I was right, by the way. <laughs> but in the quiz, it's all about like, New Year's resolutions? And what is your instinct? And do you need accountability? And anyway, it's called, it's called like quiz.gretchenrubin.com. Anyway, go and check it out. And I have, oh, right. a, I have a suspicion. I know which category you fall in.
2: Just say. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll have to have a look and then we'll compare notes. Yeah, That's we'll a,
1: compare yeah. notes, but I relate to this category. So uh, <laughs> anyway, it, it also like took somehow all the guilt off of my lack of follow through for some things. Okay it's, it put it into context. I feel like I get it now and you know why well, it's much easier to sit here at my desk.
2: Okay. Interesting. I'll have a look.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, <laughs> sorry to recommend somebody else's site. But it, right. is, it is a really fun quiz. I'm like obsessed with stuff like that. So anyway, thank you for coming on. This was really fun. And I'll think of you the next time I'm not working out.
2: Great. Thanks. Thanks for <laughs>
1: having me. All right. Take care. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. Bye. All
2: right.